0: In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar recordings, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected.
1: Now you're welcome to the uh, everyone to our marquee panel about the Advanced Player's Guide. I'm Mark Seifter, I'm the design manager at Paizo, and I'm also the lead on the Advanced Player's Guide. And uh, joining me today, we have uh, the two other uh, uh, cover authors of the Advanced Player's Guide. I'd like you to introduce yourselves. Let's start with Logan.
0: Hi, I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder Lead Designer and did a whole lot of stuff on this book.
2: My name is Liz Liddell. I'm a uh, designer at Pathfinder. I'm the newest member of the design team. And uh, I also wrote a whole lot of stuff for this book.
1: All right. Um, So, Logan, before we begin, um, yes, yes. I think
0: uh, uh, Mark is gonna have to sort out some technical difficulties for a second, Uh, but we had something that we wanted to address here uh, as we kick off this panel, uh, which is that This is a pretty tough time to just kind of sit back and enjoy yourself and relax and hear about exciting products. Um, And we just wanted to mention that um, in addition to the ongoing uh, pandemic that we're dealing with, we also have uh, a lot of injustice in Minnesota right now in particular. Uh, So we wanted to to note that that community could really use help right now. Um, If you have the means, uh, look into donating to the Minnesota Freedom Fund uh, or some other groups kind of doing the work on the ground there. Um so we're going to kind of put on a brave face and talk about this book and look at the kind of fantasy world where a group of four people can enact huge change um and encourage people to kind of do what you can locally and on a smaller scale to uh to do good uh in the and fight against injustice in the communities around. You. All
1: right, can you all hear me now? Yes. Wonderful. We're good. All right, so Let's get started and uh, talk a little bit about the Advanced Players Guide. Before we go into any of um, the specifics, first of all, let's take a look at the cover. Next slide, please. So on here, you could see... Oh, whoa. Uh, you should be able to see a uh, giant Linorm fighting off against some of our new classes from the book. Um, while we're here, uh, can everyone just say, what's your favorite thing in this book? And it can be different than the favorite thing that you said for the Q&A uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, so
0: in the, I'm, I'm going to repeat what I said in the q and I just picked a small thing, which is uh, there's a spell that lets you cast an illusion over an entire town to kind of change its appearance. So if you want that vibe where like you go into a uh, an ancient ruin, but It looks like it's a thriving city. You can kind of replicate that in your games with a ritual now.
2: I think my favorite uh, has changed since Wednesday, uh, which I think speaks to just how much awesome there is in this book and how many things we can be favoriting. Uh, But uh, it's uh, another really little thing. Um, We added the potion of expeditious retreat into the game, and it does make you expeditious, it gives you a big bonus to your speed. Uh, but it also makes you retreat. You gain the fleeing condition while you while uh, its effects are in place.
1: That one was, or is, really awesome. So uh, my favorite is still the animal companions and familiars. But I promised you on Wednesday I would tell you uh, the other familiar, aside from fairy dragon and imp. So it is a new type of creature, a spell slime, a friendly, colorful ooze that congeals from the essence left over from casting spells and is extremely loyal. So it's not a bad slime. Uh, Also, in addition to the fact that I talked about the more exotic arboreal sapling and riding drake animal companions we do have a lot of the ones you've all been asking for like apes and bats and boars and um, scorpions those kind of things there's a couple more too that you'll just have to see when we get to the book so don't worry it's not all like the weirdest animal companions we could think of if you wanted some mainstays like how many people were asking for the board so um that's it for the favorites let's move on to the next part and talk about um the classes so um which is we, really we have like start... the,
2: the core of this book i think is one of the things that people are going to be really most excited about is um we've got these four new classes that we're introducing and uh i don't know i'm excited to talk about them
1: liz i think you're right any book that we release the classes tend to be like the biggest keystone from that book and um right now uh those four classes are the investigator the oracle the swashbuckler and the witch so let's hand it over to logan who was the lead on designing the investigator and next slide please
0: yeah so the investigator um this is also the part of the book that a lot of you have had a chance to see before because we've uh, done the play test of these four classes um we kind of start off with the smaller versions as usual made some changes and expanded them uh the investigator is a really interesting class because it uh kind of digs more into the narrative and has some kind of hooks of uh, uh all that kind of detective fiction uh stuff you get to play with um so when you're an investigator uh it, it helps to have a high intelligence because you're going to be really uh you know investigating things obviously um and one of your abilities is to pursue a lead which lets you kind of examine something for a minute and then as as long as you're kind of looking further into that uh that mystery you're gonna get some bonuses on skills to uh to make checks about it and that might be like trying to recall knowledge like oh where where could this bloody book have been bought you know what kind of shops sell this sort of thing Uh, You would get a bonus on checks like that and you can also kind of help out your allies with the ability to clue them in if they're looking uh, if they're helping you with your investigation, you can give them the bonus as well. Um, If you played the playtest, you'll remember that you could have kind of one lead at a time uh, to start out with. Uh, Now we've kind of got you can have two active investigations kind of as the baseline so that. Mostly so that if there's something that's, like, not really a big deal and there's something that is a bigger deal and the GM kind of knows that, um, you aren't kind of locking yourself into just one thing you're pursuing. Um, So that's kind of, like, how they build a lot of, like, what the exploration they're going to be doing as an investigator. And, like, kind of the – we kind of expect that they're going to be kind of like, hey, party, what if we kind of looked into this a little more Um, and kind of helping to – Kind of drive the adventure forward, especially in like uh, urban adventures and uh, social uh, deduction sorts of things. Um, but they also do have some combat ability. And one of the big changes we made to this from the playtest was we kind of changed how they uh, look into things in uh, in a fight. And what they do now is they kind of uh, if you if you've uh, watched the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies, you know the scenes where he like imagines the entire fight ahead of time. You kind of do that. So you spin an action to devise a stratagem, which means that you can roll a d20 that kind of tells you if I go and attack this person, how is my attack going to go? You will get to see the result of that, and then you can decide whether you're going to use it uh, or if you're going to do something other than attack. So if, if I roll and I roll a two, I might say, well, I'm not gonna have to use that roll if, uh, if I do something that's not attacking, but I am gonna have to use that roll if I attack, so I'm gonna change my plan for this round. You kind of get to be the master tactician because you can kind of uh, make plans based on that. The other thing you get to do is, if you do decide to use that roll, on your attack roll, you get to use your intelligence instead of your strength or your dexterity. So uh, one of the things we got a lot of comments on on the playtest was that intelligence wasn't quite doing enough for the investigator uh, because they also wanted to be good at wisdom and be good at combat. This gives kind of like another little thing that uh, that intelligence can do for you. So it makes you feel a little better about. Putting some points in uh, All right, the next and class we also... up
2: is the uh, Oracle. Uh, See so if we can have the next slide. We'll jump in and take a look. Uh, Oracle has uh, changed a little bit from first edition. We've gotten a new iconic, one of our uh, new ancestries, also featured in this book. Um, the Oracle is our divine, spontaneous spellcaster. Uh, it is the spellcaster that taps into divine power without any of the safeguards or precautions or safety nets that come with working through a deity. Uh, they have just reached out and stuck their fingers into the divine light socket, uh, and so they have reached a whole lot of power, but also with some uh, unfortunate side effects. So the uh, main core of the oracle is the, uh, is the, the interaction of this, this mysterious power that they have access to but also the curse that accompanies it uh, and uh like we saw in the play test um we have joined the mysteries and curses together so you choose your mystery and it comes with an associated curse which lets us really tailor the effects of both of those to interact with one another in really interesting and fun ways uh that we couldn't do if we had to make sure that any curse could go with any mystery, uh, that would force us into a, a pretty bland design space. And this let us really do some, some really fun and interesting things with this class. Um, we've also expanded the number of mysteries available from the playtest. Uh, we had three mysteries in the playtest uh, just so that we could test the ideas and see how well this concept of this paired mystery curse was working. Um, turns out it worked pretty well, so we uh, expanded that out and I believe we now have eight curses ava- uh, mysteries and curses available to you. Um, I can run through those really quickly, and you can count and see if I can count. Uh, We've got The (laughs) of Ancestors, um, where you are hearing the voices of generations past we have the uh, the Battle Mystery, um, which is if you want to take your oracle to the front lines. We have a Mystery of the Cosmos, uh, where you are open to the uh, influences of the celestial bodies and the uh, the powers out among the stars. The ever popular Mystery of Flames, if you would like to set things on fire, this is the mystery for you. The Mystery of Life, for someone who wants to play an oracle but still have that ability to really be a healing engine for their party. Uh, we have Lore, uh, which is one of my favorites, where you just tap into all of the knowledge and you know so many things, but it slows you down in processing, so you can't quite react as fast as you might like. Uh, and then the uh, Tempest mystery for those who want to harness the power of storms and elements.
1: There's also the most mysterious eighth mystery of bone, which is hiding amongst the others, um, just like Death is a mystery right around the corner.
2: <laughs> so, so apparently I I can count, but I can't uh, read things in order. Awesome today. Uh, one of the biggest changes we made from the playtest was um, what happens as you scale up your uh, your. Uh, use of those powers from your mystery. Uh, so uh, the the concept is as you tap into those divine powers through your mystery more, your curse also becomes more powerful uh, and it, it becomes uh, a, a larger challenge, but also gives you side effects. So you've got um, some incentive to really crank this thing up and get into the highest levels of that curse because you want those benefits, but you're also going to work with some of these drawbacks along the way. Uh, originally, um, we heard in the in the playtest, if you uh, overclocked yourself too much, you'd get knocked out. Sort of like your body can't handle it anymore and shuts down. Um, and some playtesters pointed out that that actually causes some really big problems at the table. And and we heard that. And and we don't want to cause problems. We want fun. So. Uh, instead, you you channel too much power, and it temporarily locks you out of your power. You know, you've, you've tried to reset your password too many times, and uh, you know, some deity noticed and said, "No, not today." Um, and so you've got to kind of cool down before you can um, jump back in and, and reaccess those powers. Um, but you'll still have access to your spellcasting and your other class features. So um, you're you're not um, kicked out of the game. Uh, you just are trying to decide whether how far you want to push, um, give yourself a little risk and reward as you play this class. It's all about managing. Uh, How much how much of this burden am I willing to take on versus how much do I want to play it safe at any given time?
1: And it's small but important. But on the flip side, people were also talking about the idea of liking some minor like sort of cinematic effect that their curse might have that doesn't really do anything mechanical all the time. And Liz, if I remember right, you added one of those to each of the eight curses we based on do. that feedback. So
2: it's, uh, you, you, it, playing an incognito oracle is going to be a little tricky now uh, because every <laughs> curse gives you some kind of physical manifestation that shows that you have access to this divine power in some uh, rather unconventional means. Um, so maybe you, uh, you uh, are a, a little bit um, smoky smelling. Um, maybe there are voices, whispers accompanying you wherever you are. Or you might seem a little haunted, um, but there's there's <laughs> little little signals that never go away that say something's going on here. Awesome. So with that I think I'm going to kick it back to you, Mark, for the uh, for our next class.
1: All right. So if we'll take a look at our next slide, we can see the swashbuckler. The swashbuckler is a um, a really different kind of character uh, than. Just being a duelist that fights with um, a particular fighting style, which it's sort of more leaned on um, back in Pathfinder 1st Edition. Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the Swashbuckler, is all about bravado. It's about how you do things. You want to do them with flair. It's almost more important that you do things in a stylish way than whether you did them at all. And so for a Swashbuckler, life and combat are um, also a a way that you can show off. And the key mechanic that the Swashbuckler has to represent this is a state called panache that you enter when you do some of those, like, fun skill actions that people are always saying, well, I wish I could do more of these skill actions instead of just attacking in combat because it makes combat more dynamic. The Swashbuckler is the class for you if that's what you want to do. Not only do we have um, the styles that you might remember from the playtest, the Braggart who boasts and taunts um, at enemies to... um, Make them demoralized and attack the braggart. Uh, The fencer, who is constantly fainting and playing mind games with their enemy. Uh, And the gymnast, who is always grappling, shoving, tripping. Making sure the enemy is stuck just where they want them to be. While the swashbuckler and their allies can move wherever they want. We added two more styles. We also have the battle dancer. Which is a style that um, uses performance on the battlefield. And they even get fascinating performance as, as a bonus feat so that they can just use it in a combat way, since that's one of the skills that doesn't always have a um, sort of an in-combat usage necessarily by default. And the wit, which is full of humor and always making witticisms and um, uses diplomacy. And remember witty banter where uh, people would just say things to the enemy and they would say, aha, but this... Uh, they have a new skill feat called bone Mo that uses diplomacy to make witty banter. And the enemy takes a penalty until they either a duration wears off, or if they banter back to you and do well enough, they can remove the penalty, which encourages sort of a repartee. Um, And so those are the five styles of swashbucklers, but all swashbucklers are always darting around the battlefield with acrobatics. If you perform a particularly impressive task and not only do so, but um, reach a particularly high DC while you're doing it, a.k.a. you did it with flair, the GM is encouraged to give you panache for that as well. And panache is a special state that gives you benefits while you're fighting and allows you to activate powerful finishing moves called finishers, each of which have their own um, unique special ability, and you can pick and choose the ones that are best for your swashbuckler and allow you to do a devastating amount of damage to the enemy when you do a finisher and um uh, it's a lot of fun people in the playtest tended to like this take on swashbuckler but there were some comments um in the playtest there was a different kind of reaction called a repost that you needed to set up by virtue of using finishers or having panache and um people were saying it's a it's a little techie to have to get into that point for the repost and to remember when you've got the riposte so um or sorry, retort. So we took out the retort trait. Now just all the swashbucklers uh, reactions, you can just use the swashbucklers reactions when you want to use them. Um, We added a bunch more other features that you'll be able to see. But in essence, um, if you haven't, been playing with the swashbuckler with the playtest uh, you can check out the playtest and get a preview but uh, they should be a lot of fun if that's your style of character is the one that's always giving people lip moving around the battlefield using skills and not just attacking all the time and I think that about covers it for the swashbuckler so um, if any no one has anything else I'd like to ping um, it back to Liz for the witch
2: the witch and that's is, next um... slide <laughs> the uh, the witch is a a really beloved class from first edition Pathfinder, and it was uh, really exciting to get to work on it for second edition uh, because you've got this this concept of a spellcaster who, um, in in some ways, sort of like the oracle, has obtained their spellcasting power in a sort of non traditional way. Uh, in the witch's case, it's because they have formed a uh, an agreement of sorts, um, or gained the beneficence of a patron. Um, every witch has a patron that grants their power, and that patron um, sort of sends that power in the form of a special familiar. Uh, So the witch is your spellcaster with a really rockin' familiar who uh, may or may not know where their power comes from or what the goals of that entity are and gives a lot of flexibility to the play style. I think one of the changes we've made from the playtest to the final version that people are going to be really excited about is that we have opened the witch to being able to access all four spellcasting traditions. We uh, had some conversations in our staff um, and uh, with people who had been participating in the playtest and uh, originally sort of reconsidered our original idea that the witch would not have access to divine power, and we've given them access to all four. Uh, after seeing um, some really compelling arguments and some good examples in our setting of, of characters who, who would be divine witches in this paradigm. And so uh, that's probably the biggest change that we have is that we've um, you've got this kind of flexibility, but you're still an arcane spellcaster. You're still um, going to be, uh, you're, I'm sorry, you're still a prepared uh, arcane spellcaster, you're preparing your spells from your familiar. We wanted the witches familiar to be the best familiar that you can get. Uh, And so the witch comes built in with more familiar master and familiar abilities than any other class, and they can then ramp that up to get even more. So if you want to have uh, the imp familiar, um, the spell slime familiar, um, or some of the other really outlandish familiars, or just a familiar that has a whole lot of abilities, the witch is going to be the way to do it. Which isn't to say that's the only way you can get some of these special familiars. Um, but it'll be easier if you have a witch. Uh, the other changes we've made to the witch have been pretty straightforward. they have uh, You'll see a lot of the uh, hexes that you uh, knew and loved from first edition have come back uh, in the form of hexes in second edition. Uh, and ooh, a, a, another big change we've made is that we gave the witch uh, uh, cantrips, focus cantrips. Um, so that those hexes aren't something they can use only once per encounter, but so that they can use them over and over and over again, the same way they did uh, in first edition, where it was sort of your go-to combat tactic. Uh, we really um, found a home for the hexes, that one that that, that way you're going to use your third action every round. Now, what cantrip you have depends on which uh, patron you have uh, and which lessons you take going forward are going to shape sort of the path of your hexes um, and ultimately the witch in a way that you and your GM can use to defend find the relationship between you and your patron uh, and sort of give some signs into who or what that patron may be. We still have cackle. Uh, Cackle is a feat. So you're not forced to cackle if you don't want to, um, but you can cackle if you want to. I think that's about the, uh, the the summary on the witch. Is there anything else that I've uh, sort of glossed over?
1: I think so. One thing I really liked about it is that now there's like a, there's some pretty significant sidebars sort of discussing Uh, the dynamic of the patron that sort of helps new players and GMs uh, talk to each other and decide how the patron works for them and so that's something i think is really cool that's in the witch well, that people might die a expect. lot of that
0: decision on uh on adding the different traditions to it a lot of that is down to kind of like we want your patron to be really flexible uh and to to be able to model all kinds of different influences on you so that that's kind of the main reason why well one of the main reasons why uh the witch can choose from all those traditions so there you have it yeah. yep all right uh, and I, so i want to i want to mention one more thing on the investigator you don't need to go back sure. to the slide uh but since everybody else mentioned kind of uh, some of the new uh the new options for them uh we didn't expand the investigator as much uh but there is an option that is kind of the interrogator so if you want to play columbo you can choose that one and that's going to give you uh an action that lets you kind of ask leading questions to kind of get people to confess their uh their crime
1: yeah that's definitely a cool one Um, All right. So in addition to those four classes, which a lot of you might have been very excited to see the new classes, but I bet a lot of you here in the audience also have a favorite class or two or three or 12 of um, the 12 classes from the core rulebook. And there is new content for all of them. Uh, If we could have the next slide, then you will get to take a sneak peek at the, um, the rundown of the coolest new content for all 12 classes. Um, it's a little bit small, and depending on your uh, how your screen goes, you may or may not be able to read this. Um, and plus, for those of you who uh, who can't see it, I'm going to read out the summaries, and then um, someone who's interested in that class will talk about them. So, invest. Uh, the alchemist is going to gain a toxicologist research field, and new poisons and um discoveries the barbarian is going to gain uh the superstition instinct back from the playtest in addition to new feats uh the bard is going to gain some new compositions um new tricks and a battle-based muse the champion is going to get new feats of heroism and the evil tenets um the cleric gains new power and guidance from the deity including premonition feats that'll protect you from harm The druid gains connections to nature, including ability to um, sow seeds into weapons and spells. Uh, Fighter is going to gain new martial techniques of all the types, flourishes, presses, reactions, and even a new stance. Monk gets exciting martial arts, including new stances for those monastic archers, clever scrappers, uh, sort of a drunken style stance, you name it. Um, rangers gain a new type of focus spell called warden spells as well as some additional martial and wilderness techniques rogues are going to pick up two new rackets the scheming intelligence based mastermind the moriarty to the sherlock Holmes of the investigator and the magical eldritch trickster use any type of magic with your thievery. the sorcerer is going to have the genie nymph psychopomp and shadow bloodlines and the wizard gains new magical secrets including staff nexus thesis about Steve. So uh, does anyone have any of those that you want to talk about in more detail?
0: The evil champions. Oh Uh. yeah. Uh, the evil champions were an interesting one because we, we kind of knew from the start when we were designing the initial champion, uh, one of the reasons its name changed to champion was so that it could be beyond just lawful good. And we knew that eventually we were going to want to do evil as well as good to kind of do the anti-paladin side of things. Um, so we kind of built the structure with that in mind to make it so that there would be some things we could swap out in uh, in a book like this to change how the core rulebook version worked rather than having to do a whole new class for it. Um, So this section has Kind of the tenets of evil as the baseline is very similar to how the uh, the tenets of good and the uh, the sub subcategories of those are structured. So it has the tenets of evil, and then you can choose to be an anti paladin or uh, tyrant. And what did we name the other one?
1: Uh, oh gosh, um, it went back <laughs> we, and forth we, a we, million times. Yeah,
0: we had so we had dozens of different names for the third one. Um, it
1: literally took it is multiple hours. The desecrator. Oh, that's
0: that's the neutral evil version. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and so you can, you still kind of abide by these, uh, by this code. Um, and it's just kind of like the, the nasty inverse, um, though the, uh, uh, some of them have kind of more tenants than others because of kind of the, the, how laissez-faire they are, they might, each might be about things. Um, and then there's, uh, enough feats that, uh, you can build out, uh, your evil champion. Uh, one of my favorites is, uh, Pale Horse. Which kind of Mm -hmm. gives you this kind of uh, really nasty uh, steed. uh, So you can look a little different from the nicely groomed
1: uh, noble uh, stallion that a paladin. Liz, do you have one that you want to talk about in particular?
2: Uh, yeah, um, I I have um, never been a huge fan of playing monks. It's just not the class for me. But when I was working on the design pass for this, I found uh, I was really fascinated by all of the stances that uh, are in this book um, and thinking about the just so many different ways that you could play a martial character with the monk class. But one of the ones that um, is in here that I don't think got mentioned before is the monastic archer stance, um, which is going to let you be a monk who specializes in bows and archery. Uh, and then a series of uh, additional feats after that that you can use to build out that skill set. Um, ending with some really, really fantastic things like uh, a triangle shot so you can uh, make three strikes against one target on your turn. Uh, just some really, really fun things.
1: The number of stances in here, there are just a lot. Gorilla, Monastic, the Stumbling Stance, Shooting Stars, Cobra, peepal. There's a lot of stances. And you'll have time to figure... There's more than that. You'll have time to figure out um, exactly what all those do once uh, the Advanced Player's Guide is out. Um, so, I guess I should pick one and, and talk about it too, huh? Yeah, you should. Uh, let's see. They're all so good, and I want you guys to be able to see all of them, but how about that um, that bard section? Bard is a class that's near and dear to my heart. So, the warrior muse, um, for you, the battlefield is your stage, and the clang of steel is your song. And um, you might have like a very soldiery creature as your muse, like a planetar or maybe a cornigon if you're evil. Or Perodameon, if you really are really evil, um, Gorum, something like that, and basically you wade through the battlefield. You have fear as your spell, and uh, you get you can get some better martial weapons, and you keep gaining um, benefits that will allow you to uh, do things where you attack or your allies attack as um, as the battle is is moving forward. Um, and it's all sort of based off of your Inspire Courage and your strengthening of your allies. So, for instance, um, Courageous Assault um, allows you to uh, spend an action for this meta magic, and then you cast Inspire Courage, and one of the allies who gets the bonus from Inspire Courage immediately. Um, gets to use a reaction to make a strike. So that's pretty nice. Um, There's a lot of other things like that going on and just a lot of creative ideas in all of these classes for the Advanced Players Guide. Um, So unless anyone else has another class we want to go on to, um, moving on, we will go into another enormous...
0: I want to quickly repeat something Mark already did mention, which is the ranger, if you wanted to play that ranger that had spellcasting, there is an option for that in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted so that not every ranger had to be a spellcaster uh, because the concept is kind of broader than that. But here we've incorporated so that if you do want to have some spells, they're very specific, very ranger
1: spells. Yeah, I almost picked that <laughs> um, <laughs> over Bard. But you get spells like Gravity Weapon, Heal Companion, Magic Hide to protect your animal companion, one of my favorite Snare Hopping, where you didn't put the snare in quite the right place, so you just move it to the right place, uh, all, Rangers Bramble, Large Companion, all sorts of spells that you can use that are very, very focused on, uh, no pun intended, but I accidentally punned it up, on doing what um, the Rangers like to do. Um, so moving on to the next chapter. This is another big selling point of the book. Gosh, a this, big book chapter. A lot, <laughs> this book has a lot of these giant um, selling points we find out um, is the archetypes chapter. Now this Woo! chapter has over 40 archetypes. I believe the count is 42, including the four multi-class archetypes for the, multi- for the new classes in the book. That's a lot. Can we see the next slide and find out more about the archetype's introduction? There's a list if you can read it. There's a list if you can read it, um, but we're going to highlight um, a few archetypes each, and um, Let's start with Liz this time. It's different. We're...
2: Sure. So I'm going to list a couple of them and then dig into one that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, if uh, In this book, you can play things like a linguist if you want to be a character who specializes in languages. A medic if you want to have uh, more healing ability but not through a spellcasting class. Uh, one of my favorites is the talisman dabbler. Uh, someone who takes the talisman consumable items and really is just that is their thing. Uh, and then uh, the weapon improviser. Um, so that you can throw anything, hit people with anything. You are the master of the bar fight because anything is a weapon to you. Uh, but my favorite, I think, is the one that the archetype system in 2nd edition is really absolutely perfect for, which is the Vigilante. Um, and so we have introduced the Vigilante as an archetype in this, uh, in this book. Um, it's an archetype you take at first level. You're sort of uh, going into debt for your second level class feat for it. Um, And it gives you your social identity so that your class is your Vigilante identity. And then you divide your actions um, and the abilities that you have based on whether you're currently in your social identity or whether you're in your Masked Avenger Vigilante identity. Uh, But unlike first edition, um, where the Vigilante had to have a separate archetype for every play style, so there was something like Thirty vigilante archetypes. Uh, in in this one, uh, you your play style is determined by your base class, and then you just have the one vigilante archetype to represent that. Hey, I do this under a mask, uh, and then the rest of the time I wear you know my suit and my tie, and I go about in polite society just like everyone else.
1: Awesome. Uh, how about you, Logan? What are some standouts uh, for you from this giant archetype list? So some of the
0: ones that I like, uh, I'm going to do the same thing. Was give give a few. Uh, brief teasers and then go a little more in depth into one. Uh, the, some of the ones that I like are the Archaeologist. Uh, there are quite a few kind of more studious archetypes in here if you want to kind of play, you know, kind of a, uh, a more scholarly archetype in addition to whatever your class is. Uh, the Archaeologist is a good example of that. Um, there's also the Scrounger, which uh, we had a big meeting where we brainstormed a bunch of stuff with a bunch of the rest of the, the Paizo team, and uh, <laughs> MacGyver came up. So this is, you can make, you can make uh, contraptions out of uh, junk, basically. Um, So the scrounger can kind of make items for whatever situation they need. There are a couple uh, returning favorites, old uh, prestige classes that have come back as archetypes. One of those is the Dragon Disciple, and one of those is the Eldritch Archer. So if you want to kind of get some dragon wings and and claws and stuff and uh, breath weapon, you can do one of those. If you want to be able to shoot arrows that have spells in them, you can take the Eldritch Archer. Um, uh, The one I want to dig into in a little more detail is the Marshal. Uh, The Marshal is kind of that battlefield commander. It's a really good one if you want to be like, I want to be a fighter, but I also want to be a leader. You can pick up Marshall, and you can kind of shout commands to your allies, uh, kind of assist them and uh, kind of uh, uh, sway the whole battlefield in a certain direction by uh, the sheer force of your uh, your personality and your battle strategy.
1: Awesome. Um, so just like the others, I am also going to give you um, five archetypes, uh, but dig into one of those five. So um here you I've seen people already talking about the dandy which is a um fun little archetype that can allow your character to sort of be the master of style and etiquette and decorum and do things like crash the party um and gossip um it's pretty cool um you can also be a gladiator which allows you to play to the crowd um call your shots and generally do some special um, stage fighting type techniques. Um, We also have the scroll trickster in there. The scroll trickster is kind of fun because of the fact that um, as opposed to a spell casting archetype where you're taking the archetype and you're actually becoming like a wizard and casting spells, the scroll trickster just gets to make some free scrolls every day that last for that day. And it can give you... A lot more flexibility than you might expect um because of the fact that it's just whatever scrolls you were gonna make um then we have um the shadow dancer another one of those uh classic archetypes the shadow dancer is going to let you do weird shadowy magic and just generally do better in the shadows and there's a neat little sidebar about like the call of the shadows and how it calls you. Um, But the one I'm going to talk about a little more is the Beastmaster archetype because some people want to play maybe literally the Beastmaster from the movie or maybe just you want an animal companion but you didn't really want to be a druid or a ranger or anything like that. The Beastmaster is an archetype that has no illusions that it's there for anything other than to make you an awesome animal companion person uh front and center it's not trying to do that much else more than that it's going to give you an animal companion um it's going to allow you to potentially have multiple companions in the wings that are sort of out in the wilds and then you call upon the one that is correct for the current situation um and uh it has uh some special uh, a special like beastmaster trance you can go into with your companions and at high levels there's even an option to have two of your companions out on the battlefield at the same time but boy does it take a lot of effort to um command all of them when you do that but if you want to have all of the animals possible and just lots of animals you want to be a beastmaster for uh your character so there's a whole lot of more archetypes the slide shows you the list of names for all of them um and I'm sure that as time goes on before the book, um, you might start finding out a little bit more about some of the other ones. But for now, um, we're going to move on to the next topic because we still have a lot to cover. There's one more big uh, highlight of this book, and that is the Ancestry section. Next slide, please. Did you want to play so, a tiefling? Good news. You can. And uh, this reminds me uh, something I've been... of something. I have to out. Uh, to, to include in the slides. Uh, I've been remiss in not saying it yet up to this point, but um, if you saw the description of the panel, it said the, the three designers and uh, one rockstar editor were going to be here in the panel, but there were some internet problems and Comcast went down and we do not have editor Avi Cole on the panel here today. Uh, this was a piece of art that Avi picked out because they thought it was the most awesome piece of art from the ancestry section and uh, we hope that you like it too. Um, So I'm going to go through each of the ancestries in this book and versatile heritages after first taking a moment to tell you what a versatile heritage is. If you do not know a versatile heritage is um, if you, if you know, heritage is in the game, that's just like, Well, I picked my ancestry was an elf, and I'm a forest elf. That's my heritage. A versatile heritage is a heritage that any ancestry can take. And it is the perfect way to describe certain um, characters in the game that in Pathfinder First Addiction weren't really well served by being considered like a race. Um, So, Asimar and Tieflings, uh, which are descended from angels and other celestials or demons and other... Um, and other fiends were described uh, in Pathfinder 1st Edition that you could descend from whatever um, one of the ancestors that you want, but the mechanics didn't really serve that. Here, with a versatile heritage, they do, because if you want to be a dwarf, Who's descended from Archons or an elf descended from Zatas. You pick the her- the ancestry and then the heritage. That's what a versatile heritage is. So I don't want to go too deeply into them because I know that there's someone else who wants to talk about those in particular, but I want to mm-hmm. make sure you know what the, what the jargon is before, um, we start going into it. So the first ancestry in the book is the cat folk, uh, curious and gregarious wanderers. Um, does anyone want to cover the cat folk?
2: I can talk a little bit to them. Uh, The catfolk are something that uh, we've played a little bit with first edition Pathfinder, but haven't really ever gotten a lot of spotlight. Um, And in the uh, inner sea region, they're actually um, visitors from further south on the continent of Garand, where they have uh, their own nation. Um, And so, but being curious and wanderers and explorers, they are prone to um, wandering. And so they they show up through the inner sea region. Uh, And so we wanted to feature them here as as a... uh, an Ancestry that doesn't get seen a lot, um, but that offers some really fun play opportunities um, because they can speak to things like Cat's Luck and Cat's Grace and the Nine Lives concept.
1: Yep, and they absolutely have lots of graceful and lucky um, special abilities. Also, because I know that all of you are just like very deeply um, care about the ability boost more than I, I feel that maybe they're actually um, have a mechanical impact on the Ancestry... The catfolk are have dexterity and charisma as their boosts and their flaw is wisdom. They can always try to land on their feet. Um the next ancestry are kobolds, who are ingenious trap uh, uh, that trap crafters um, with a connection to dragons. Um does anyone want to cover those?
0: Kobolds. Uh so kobolds uh you know, you already know about them from the bestiary and from first edition. They are—they uh, have a lot of kind of the same kind of fun flavor opportunities as something like goblins, where you can really kind of like get into their uh, into their mindset. Uh, like one of their ancestry feats is cringe. At first level, they can kind of take a reaction to. Um, uh, they also have, like, kind of that through line of, like, draconic magic type of abilities, so they can kind of get some, some magic similar to what dragons have. Um the uh since Mark was saying, you know, people like to know about their ability boosts, cobalts uh-huh. <laughs> have dexterity, charisma, and a free ability boost. Uh kind of about what you'd expect. Uh and then they have a flaw to constitution. They're not the not the hardiest creature. Um they also uh kind of choose a draconic exemplar, which is kind of like the type of dragon that they revere. Uh so some of their abilities might uh key off of that. They uh, pick up feats or heritage.
1: Awesome. Um All right. So the next ancestry that we have are the orcs. Uh, They're forged in the fires of conflict, but they also have really strong connections with their family and just a very interesting culture that has become, it's really the paradigm has changed since the whispering tyrant has been released in our world and the orcs uh, who are right next door, kind of the tyrant expected to join them. They said no way and teamed up with everybody else to fight. Um, So now they're starting to become um, more accepted as allies than they were before, because you take whoever wants to ally with you when you're fighting against an evil lich and their army of undead. Um, So the orcs have a very interesting ability situation that we've never seen before. They have a strength boost and a free boost and no flaw. Uh, So... Uh, that is something um, sort of innovative. Um, there is one other ancestry we'll get to that has a similar structure in the Advanced Player's Guide. Um, meanwhile, orcs will give you all the sorts of things you might expect. Orcs are the only ancestry in here that already has some feats that are written for their ancestry before they were even released, because the half orc, uh, because of the half orc, we included some orc feats in. The core rulebook and that means that they have sort of a little leg up right because you get to add those onto to all of the feats that are in here that'll let you do things like um uh, maybe be a beast trainer or um try to like hold on just at the edge of death and all sorts of things that orcs are known for with their hardiness and um determination and that is the orc. Yeah, so the next... The,
0: the, uh, I want to say one more thing on orcs. Uh, Mike Sayer in the office is a, like our huge orc and half-orc fan uh, and was just like champing at the bit to work on these. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I really like that's in there is kind of this uh, story beat, like that uh, uh, how important like trust is to them and like honesty. Uh, like they're very much like the, yeah, you need to be, you know, you know deceit isn't the way to go. They're like everything's out in the open kind of uh, uh, culture, which is really really an interesting, Take
1: right like even if you're going to challenge and possibly kill the, the leader because you don't agree with their policies and you want to be the new leader you're going to tell them like i challenge you this is wrong and we're going to fight you're not going to poison them in their sleep and orcs orcs would not respect that um all right so the next ancestry is the rat folk sometimes known as isoki um adaptable little folks who grow into large families anyone want to cover that Oh, it looks like. Um, oh no, I was looking at it earlier part of the stream. Nobody was making a little hand thing. Um,
2: I was making little hand things. Oh, you uh, were making
1: a hand thing. I was I looking was. at it the right time. Uh, okay, so Liz, do it.
2: Yeah, so red folk have been around for a long time. Uh, they were. Uh, they they came up in first edition. Um, but they really kind of came into the spotlight when we introduced them as a core race in Starfinder RPG. Um, and, uh, they had carved out a niche there and the, the popularity they saw there really came back and we said, well, obviously we need to have Rat Folk in second edition. Um, and so they, here they are, they are exactly what you know and love. They're, they're small, <laughs> they're clever, they're good with their hands. Uh, they, they, they live in these huge sprawling families in really tightly packed spaces. Um, and, and really value that sense of community that comes out of it. Uh, they are um, uh, get uh, ability boosts in dexterity and intelligence, um, being very clever, very good with their hands, um, but they're not very strong. They're going to take a strength flaw.
1: Yep. Um, and so... Our last ancestry, and don't worry, they're versatile heritages, there's more coming, um, are the Tengu. So um, Tengu are a gregarious and resourceful crow people that are based off um, Japanese mythology. And um, one thing that I was really happy uh, that we were able to do with the Tengu in this book is that we had um, James Case, who is a uh, a bit of a subject matter expert on um, Japanese mythology, and was in Japan at the time that he was writing it, just sort of like at a shrine with Tengu statues, coming up with ideas and 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 really helping to um, sort of paint the picture of Tengu in our world um, combining all the lore that we've had before with some really interesting um, folklore-ish roots to make the Tengu even cooler than they were already pretty cool. Um, and also based on those folklore, he pitched um, an idea that eventually made the Tengu, the other ancestry that has no flaws, dexterity and free boost and uh, no flaws for the Tengu. And they have a beak Um and you'll be able to play all the types of Tengus that you used to, or Tengu, sorry, all the types of Tengu that you used to. Um, plus, there's some mechanics for the idea that they eat bad luck into themselves. Uh, jinx eaters is what um, pirates call the Tengu because they like to bring them on their ship. And some traditional ideas like mountain keeper tengus uh, because of the fact that in folklore, a lot of the time you could find the Yamabushi tengu up on the mountain. So it's really uh, a fascinating blend of um, everything you know and love about tengu and some of the um, folklorist roots that I think you're not going to want to miss. And with that, um, let's go to the versatile heritages. And Liz, I know you were very excited for them. So I just want you to just lead this whole section.
2: I am very excited about these. Uh so I think versatile heritages are a piece of one of what makes up my favorite stories in Galarian, which is how did your character come to be? Uh and when you've got all these supernatural forces in the world pushing against mortal ancestries, you're you're gonna get people born between the two of them. Um, those influences are going to cross over. And so versatile heritages let us tell those stories in a way that's not artificially restricted to them being their own standalone race the way they were in first edition. Um, that You're still an elf, um, but you might be an elf with a whole lot of celestial blood. You might be uh, you might be human, but your dad might have been a vampire. And so you've got these opportunities to really build characters that fit whatever you envision for your character to be. And it kind of breaks the mold of every, uh, you know, every creature born of a fiend uh, is a human with fiend traits. You, you you can be a gnome with fiend traits. You can, uh, one of the jokes running around the office is you can play a Dompier Leshy. Um you know, and so the, uh, the the versatile heritages, I think, are really, really fun in that way because they, they let you explore those stories and build those characters. Uh, one of the things that comes along with the versatile heritages, which, as Mark said, Um, You'll still choose your ancestry, just like you would, but instead of choosing a heritage specific to that ancestry, you'll choose a versatile heritage. Uh, But there's a subcategory within some versatile heritages, which we call lineages. And those are going to be what kind of supernatural or or non-ancestry influence do you have. Um, So if, for example, you're playing a tiefling and you've got fiendish influence, uh, you might have a lineage feat that indicates that you're born specifically from devils. Um, rather than daemons or demons. Uh, In this book, um, we're introducing five versatile heritages. Uh, Three of them are grouped in the planar. Those are going to be your ASMRs. Um, your celestial-blooded mortals, your tieflings, which are your fiend-blooded mortals, and then a third category called dusk walkers, uh, which are which are interesting and uh, really specific to Galarian lore. Um, these these are sort of mortals born with the influence from the boneyard, from Pharasma's Spire, and from the Psychopomps, uh, sort of um, as a mortal representation of those kinds of immortal shepherds of the dead, uh, manifesting. Uh, on on the world with free will um there are not very many of them uh and they uh have kind of uh, stories um and they're uh something that you'll be able to explore in uh in July when this book comes out. We also have two other versatile heritages in the APG. Uh, We have changelings, which are the children of hags, and we have Dom which are uh, born to or otherwise influenced by vampires uh, and are walking the line between life and undeath. So we think we're gonna be, uh, we're we're excited to present these. Uh, These really represent sort of the um, most commonly played Uh, manifestations of the versatile heritages, but um, with this book introducing versatile heritages as a mechanical function, I think this is something you're going to see more of in the future.
1: I think we can almost guarantee it. (laughs) Alright, so um, we have made it through uh, the ancestries, but if you were really paying attention to our um, description of this panel, then you know that there is a new product that we're announcing at this marquee panel. And um, it just happened that they came right next to each other, but I'm going to have Liz take it away on announcing the new project. She is the design lead.
2: So uh, the spring 2021 release for the Pathfinder rulebook line uh, is going to be a book that I'm very excited about, and I hope you will be too. Uh, We will be releasing Bestiary 3 Uh, This is going to round out the Trilogy of Bestiaries for Pathfinder 2nd Edition and takes the uh, monsters that are available in the first two volumes and kind of rounds them out so that you've got a complete play experience of creatures that you can use to build your world, whether you're playing in Galarian or you're playing in a different setting. So we're looking to uh, pick up any of the favorites that uh, we maybe couldn't find a home for in the first two Bestiaries. Uh, and also introduce a couple of kind of uh, niche creatures that we think really um, are important to having a play style and to being able to represent the kinds of encounters you want to have. Uh, it's also, as a bestiary, has a little bit of an urban theme to it. Um, we really realized that we needed more urban creatures, um, given that we have a lot of opportunities for urban adventures. and uh, And so there's if there's a through line in this book, it's, it's that we're trying to make sure that you've got everything you need for back, ally, back alleys uh, and city streets and uh, noble courts um, to fill all of those niches for the foes that you need along the way. Uh, a couple of the big level things that we're looking to include in Bestiary 3 uh, are uh, a, a big family of creatures that uh, are well known and loved in our setting, which are clockworks. Um, so you'll see your clockwork dragon and your clockwork soldier, both things that are common in larger cities. Well, maybe not common, but um, usually found uh, as well as the rules so that those Um, Clockworks can exist in other, uh, products that we release as well. Uh, and then the other big family that I'm really excited about are Rules for Troops, uh, because you can't have a city without a city guard, and city guard sometimes shows up not in ones or twos, but in sixteens or twenties, and, uh, I, I, that's, that's something that I find really fun. Uh, maybe it's just because I play a lot of Hell's Rebels Adventure Path, um, but having those troops and that ability to represent a large, um, you know, flying mob combat where you're just scything through waves of uh, smaller enemies as a GM, having a way to to model that uh, is really important. So we're we're really excited that troops are going to be in in this bestiary. Uh, Mark and Logan, do you want to talk about some of the pieces that you're excited about?
1: Logan, want to go first? Sure. Um, so I'm
0: I'm going to talk about just like a little monster because my favorite thing is always like. The weird one-off, strange things, um, and I did some freelancing on this, and most of the things I wrote are like that. It's not like here's this uh, enormous, huge backstory thing. It's just like here's some weird monster you would find somewhere. Um, but I'm going to talk about one that's coming back that was in first edition, uh, which is the Hyakume. Uh, so it's kind of a, a kind of roughly egg-shaped, kind of blobby spellcaster, completely covered in eyes. Um, From Japanese mythology. Uh, I just I I think they're kind of charming in their in their weird way. Uh, So (laughs) I have affection for them. Um, I I was saying earlier that uh, I wanted to pick a monster that uh, you could hug. uh, And they're kind of like nice and big and and uh, and huggable. huggable yeah you, Absolutely. Might, you might get stuck and have to like <laughs> gross in, ending the hug might be difficult but it's probably nice and warm
1: and cozy while you're having it. so um my pick for monster that i really want to reveal to you guys uh is the Stheno, which is a um Ancestry ready Medusa based um, low level uh, humanoid that uh, does not necessarily have a turn you to stone situation and they arose very recently from like a single powerful um, urelian which is a type of powerful Medusa from um, from the setting um, that just created this brand new ancestry and they're learning like who they are as a people and also. Um, just a cool new thing that's in uh, bestery Three. But I realized we all we, we we didn't tell them. Uh, two other big groups of of things that people are probably going to want to know that they're in there, Ooh, which is that us, Sock Hills are back. Sock Hills, and, uh, the evil
2: outsiders.
1: For, that for those of you who,
2: who corrupted psychopumps,
1: uh, yes, that's right. They were psychopumps who, a while in the past, it's not like they're currently getting corrupted into Sock Hills, but they were just like, you know what? This cycle of birth and death that ultimately the universe is going to end, this is pointless. Let's just be scare people and be total horrible beings. And then we they are. became stuck yeah. Can't, can't um, get
0: enough of this stuff.
1: Yep. And then um, the type of dragon for the book, because every book has to have a type we of have dragon. To have the is, dragons. It's Imperial Dragon. And I am so excited about the Imperial Dragons because uh, we had the opportunity. To pair an extreme subject matter expert on imperial dragons, who's a promising new freelancer, with like an old hand at RPGs to team up and produce like these imperial dragons, and it's I, I think it's gonna be great, you guys. So sure um, you had a, a,
0: a very promising new writer, but like having someone do an entire dragon entry right away is like really pushing someone in the deep end. Uh, so it's nice <laughs> yep. that we can kind of uh, balance that out.
2: Yeah, so I, I'm gonna spoil one more uh, because we we got the cover of days ago it was too late to put it up in our slide presentation so i'm sorry i can't show you this cover because it's amazing um uh, but there's one creature that's on this cover that we haven't talked about yet uh and i think it's a uh, kind of a, a fan favorite from pathfinder um, mm. we're, we're bringing back
0: tooth fairies Woo! If you want to see wayne reynolds illustrate a tooth fairy you're gonna
1: get your chance
2: several actually it's gonna <laughs> <Yep>. be up
1: <laughs> in fact we have now named enough that out of the things we've named, you can find out what's going to be on the cover. So why don't you all, like, in the comments or somewhere, create your own pastiche of just the monsters we named that you think is the cover, and we'll see who correctly guessed it.
2: we can get fan covers. That would be great. Do a right? Bear- I mean, it, oh, yeah. If,
1: like, if if someone here who's an awesome artist uh, is watching and wants to actually just make fun little, um your own take at a cover with those monsters, that's cool. I was just thinking people would name which monsters they think are making up the cover. But that, Liz, you took it to a new level. Hey, That's shoot
2: awesome. to the stars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, we've had fan art like that. Remember Amanda's Shark Goblin on the one stream uh, that um, yeah. that Sheppy, one of the fans, drew it. So that was awesome. All right. So we've we've covered the announcement, covered the EPG. We wanted to give you guys just about 20 minutes to ask us some questions. And so 20. I'm going to be moderate I'm gonna be moderating and watching the chat for some questions and I will put a start now. I'm not, I haven't read anything that was before I said start now, I did not read it. Um, Uh, So if you have a question, put it now.
0: Also keep in mind that we can go into a lot of detail on APG because it's coming really soon. Uh, but we can't go into a whole ton of detail about uh, what's in Best Area 3. So, like, if you ask us, hey, is this monster going to be in Best Series 3? We're probably not going to be able to answer that.
1: Uh, that's well, right. Let's see. That book's for long, you on it?
2: the stream. Sorry.
0: Um, there's
1: a question about if there's going to be a lot more crossbow features in the Advanced Player's Guide. I don't believe that we have a lot of crossbow stuff in the Advanced Player's Guide. Not specific Either-
2: for crossbows, but there are a number of, uh, of ranged weapon specialties, and I think a, a, a number of bow specialties that crossbows can be used for
0: um whenever we're
1: doing a range thing if we can make it work for crossbows and it makes sense we do the next question is um based on someone who clearly read the survey and knew what we were considering oh it was oh since you changed to have some focus on the witch are they down to the barred number of spells as well uh the answer is yes they are Um, just like we said, and you guys said, yes, that's what we want on the survey. So we did what you said. Um, next question is, can anybody say a little bit more about that mastermind rogue? It just sounded so cool. Um, does anyone want to talk about that? Otherwise I I can give a quick spiel. I
0: know the most about it, Mark.
1: Okay, sure. So the mastermind rogue, uh, like I said before, is the Moriarty to, um, the Sherlock from, um, the Gator. Just like all the other rogue, there aren't a whole lot of feats that are locked in or like, sorry, you have to be a mastermind or you can't use them. But there's definitely a lot of clever feats that now anybody can use that a mastermind would love. Um, the things that are specifically locked in are that you can plan 10 steps ahead. When you use recall knowledge, you make the creature flat-footed against your attacks because you also find a vulnerability. Um, and that you get, you can make intelligence your capability score and you get one of the sort of knowledge skills Um actually two of the sort of knowledge skills as your um, racket ability. Um, and then there's a feat that at, you might've noticed at second level, they all have a feat that's only for them. Um, that is called clever gambit where you um, do, you get to do some cool things if you've recalled knowledge. And then you may have noticed they all have a feat about a special debilitations for them. The mastermind is very tactical. They can take away the ability for someone else to flank and they can mess up the person's ability to get circumstance bonuses from cover or raising a shield. Um, so it's very tactical, and it lets you sort of go into the tactics. That's the mastermind.
0: Um, let's I think see. that's kind of a theme of the APG in general. Uh, is there's a lot more kind of like social and knowledge based stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the similar reason to like how we kind of put the alchemist in the core rulebook to make sure alchemy is in the game from the start. We're making sure like the investigator gets in there early, so we can kind of have some more of that. Kind kind of that part of gameplay in the game and have a lot of robust uh, resources for it early on.
1: Um, all right, so the next person is asking, are there any new spells? Because it's true. We were going to say, uh, but forgot, that there is a um, whole chapter of spells, there's a whole chapter of magic items, but I'm going to take that as a mandate, um, sort of that we can all talk about a spell that we'd like. In addition to, yes, there are new spells. Because that's the evil genie answer. Oh, I've
0: got one. <laughs> I'm going to note that uh, some of the spells you might already know because there were a few that uh, are mentioned in Lost Omens, Gods, and Magic uh, as being in the APG. So those spells are all in here. That includes uh, Ill Omen, Mad Monkeys, uh, and one or two others that are, that are not jumping to mind. Uh, but those are all in here. Uh, so uh, you already know about
1: those. All right. Someone said is it. it.
2: Uh, This is a book that has a lot of um, different ways you can interact with animal companions and particularly familiars. There's a spell called pet cash um, that you (laughs) can put your pet into a little extra dimensional space. So just to keep them safe uh, and to make it easier to carry them around when you uh, when you don't have extra hands or don't want to keep an eye on on where they are.
1: All right. Instead of giving my favorite spell, since these are scrolling faster than I can get them, I saw one. What is the Bastion? You may have seen us say that there's an iron wall that is good with shields. Well, it turns out Bastion is a cooler name and fits alphabetically. So that is that. That is what the Bastion is. Um... Let's see. Someone asked, how mechanically important is your patron to your witch now? Liz, can you take that one?
2: Sure. Um, I think uh, functionally your your patron is as mechanically important as you want it to be um, in that uh, we wanted to build a system that where if you knew exactly who your patron is and you say, my patron is Desna and that's important to me, um, that you're building to that and, and the, the class will support that. But we also want to say if you have no honking idea what your patron is, and maybe your character will never find out, that it also supports that kind of development. Um, so, ultimately, there's a lot of flexibility in the patron, um, and you're sort of building your patron um, or your character's knowledge of their patron Um, as you choose the mechanical components that make up your character, as you're choosing your patron's theme and the lessons that they're teaching you.
1: Awesome. So someone asked if the APG is going to errata things that are in the core rulebook. No, if we're going to errata something, we'll do it in that book. And then several people at the same time asked uh what's the deal with the familiar master archetype. So Ooh. the familiar master is the archetype for you if um like Liz was saying the witch is by default got the best stuff with familiars. But what if you also want to have an awesome familiar and you're not for a witch the heck or, of it. <laughs> or you're a, you're a fighter and you want to have an awesome familiar. Well, the familiar master is for you. It even has a few uh, I think like a trick or two that even the witch doesn't have handy and it's just very low impact to your character other than just like you get what you think your dedication gives you a familiar then you can take feats to make your familiar better so um it's got um a lot of of useful abilities for someone who wants to have a familiar
2: it also still has abilities that are useful if you already have a familiar. So you can use it either to get a familiar if you wouldn't get one normally, uh, or to build up your familiar if you have a class that's going to give you access to
1: All right, let's see. Um, someone asked, what is your favorite new class feat in the APG? And they didn't specify between whether it's feats for a new class or just class feat in general. Does anyone have a favorite? I guess archetypes also have class feats, for that matter.
2: Oh man, so many feats. It's like we have this whole game that's
1: built on feats. I'll name one that I like for Swashbuckler, which is um, just because it's so iconic from Swashbuckler Fiction. There's a feat called, I want to make sure I get the name right, I think, um, is it called After You? Where you just go last in initiative because you're just like, no, you know what, you can go take the first strike. I'll, I'll be able to finish you anyway, you need it. And if you do so, you start with Panache. Uh, because that's just a very gutsy move to just, I'm going last and I'll start with T'nash. Uh That's my favorite just because it's not necessarily the most powerful thing you can do in the book, but it's just cool to do that.
2: I think my favorite, uh, there's an oracle feat that lets you um, basically cast augury all the time, like all the time. Uh, but you, the only thing you can learn from it is if something terrible is going to happen. You can't actually learn about good events. You just only learn about the bad things. <laughs>
0: One I really like for the investigator is called It, which you straight up just kind of ask the GM some questions and then uh, you get the, the answers to uh, a certain number of questions depending on, uh, on how you roll. So questions like, uh, was this clue left within the last day? Was this clue left by a dwarf? That kind of thing. Um, this is also, there are a few feats in here that are actually uh, uncommon class feats. Uh, because we know that some GMs aren't going to want to have a game that has this type of dynamic. Uh, so there are a few of those that we kind of said, like, all right, we're going to gonna we're gonna put the uncommon tag on these for the same reason we put uncommon on other things. Like, they're interesting enough, we think they're uh, important to include, but we want to make sure they don't feel mandatory for every
1: tape. That's a good segue into the next question, which is, are most of the archetypes uncommon? No, there no. are a few, but the <laughs> vast majority of them are common. Um, uh, the and next one the is
2: ones that are uncommon are the ones that require that kind of gm participation and buy-in
1: uh that's absolutely right like there's one about rituals they are themselves uncommon, so is the archetype um someone asked given that there's all sorts of new support for the alchemist in feats, are there new alchemical items? you betcha there's new mutagens, new bombs, all sorts of cool things. if you thought your alchemist was already able to target every possible weakness, now you could target even more uh <laughs> Uh, the next question is, what about rogues that make ranged attacks? So there's some thrown feats in here for rogues who want to throw their daggers at people or things like that. That might be right up your alley. Or maybe it's a dark alley. I don't know. Um,
2: oh, Oh, you went there.
1: I did. I went into a dark alley. I can do that now because we can sneak attack with Concealment in second edition and with Unchained Rogues, I guess. Um, Let's see.
2: While you're looking, Mark, I want to speak to something that's in this book that we haven't actually talked about a lot. There's actually a whole chapter in this book on uh, magical, alchemical, and new mundane items. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've got some new gear to support the new classes. Um, we've got new alchemical items to support the alchemist. Uh, and then we have a bunch of new magic items, uh, both to support the new classes and also just to make your day better.
1: Yes. All right. I found one. I found a few questions that I'm going to consolidate into one, um, which was the one that I saw first was like two weapon fighting archetype. Like, how is that different? Why do you have a combat style and an archetype? And there are some about the other ones too. So let's th- look at the dual weapon warrior. This is, these are archetypes for, did you think like, I really want to play... A bard, but a lot of the good two-weapon fighting feats are in fighter. And I don't really need to be fighter-y. I just want a lot of two-weapon fighting stuff. Um, So these combat-style archetypes let you take what you want for that combat style, And put that into your character. And they don't always have exactly the same options as a particular class. So um, with Dual Weapon Warrior, you get Double Slice right away. You have access to some of the two weapon fighting feats from um, the rest of the um, core rulebook classes. But also some brand new ideas like Dual Thrower, if you want to throw two things. Or... Dual Weapon Reload, where you can somehow reload one of the weapons in one of your hands, even if your other hand has a weapon. Um, and even some really powerful ones, like Dual Weapon Blitz, where you move around with your weapons and attack, and Dual Onslaught, where you attack so many times that it's kind of like a Maralith or a Hydra that you you get, uh, even on a miss, you do some of the damage, which is a, a really awesome one that you can pile on. So it's good if, even if you are a class that has some of these feats... Um, it's real good if the, uh, you just wanted to have in fighting feats and you thought well I have to take fighter dedication but I don't need any of the rest of it. So um all the rest other ones work out kind of like that just for different combat styles. Um let's see. Someone is asking um are there any crossover between investigator feats and rogue feats? Logan? Yeah, there's
0: some. Uh, there I don't remember exactly how many, but there are a few things that uh, are appearing both. I think one of the ones uh and I'm also, I'm checking the file just in case because sometimes you have to cut things for copy fit. So there might be some things that were in there at one point right now. So I'm just making sure I don't give you the wrong information. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the things, uh, there's one example that you've already seen in the playtest, which is uh, the predictive purchase. I think it might've had a, a different name initially, but you kind of, you have a feed that says, oh, I had this item all along. The rogue has that as well as the investigator. Uh, there are some other, a few other examples. There's also quite a few new um, skill feats that are gonna be just as useful for the rogue as they are for the investigator or Absolutely. anybody else who wants to kind of do more social investigative stuff.
1: Um, so Xevious was asking a follow-up to my last one, which was so is the Sentinel or one of these an armor-based one? So you don't have to always play a champion if you want to get heavy armor real fast on your character? Yes, there is an armor-based one, and that is the sentinel. So you want lots of armor, you don't kind of want those edicts and codes, you can be a sentinel and you will be great. Um, all right, let's see. Is the APG part of both the rulebook and special edition? Um,
2: Ooh, I think so, there is a special edition version of the APG coming out. I think we've got both.
1: Um, Let's see. How often can an investigator use their int for attacking? Bramando asks. Every round when they use their prediction, they can do it. So yeah, it takes them in action
0: to, to kind of think through everything. So, uh, at least to start out, and so that's uh, they can do that once per round.
1: Daniel Merciless is wondering if there's still a lot of incentive for the Swashbuckler to uh, to max out uh, the um, possibly acrobatics for acrobatic daring do, and maybe the skill that's associated with their style. Um, there still is an incentive to max those out because those sure are the things that your character was sort of based around, but. Um, the Swashbuckler gets a little bit of a trick up its sleeve with some additional skills that will also give you a little bit of breathing room if you want to put something else up too. All right, let's see. Uh, will the Advanced Player's Guide have the Genie Ken Versatile Heritages? No, it will not have those.
2: But we did mention uh, that uh, we're just... probably going to have
1: more, so... Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Logan, why don't you jump in?
0: Uh, I was just going to mention also, um, it doesn't sound like anybody's asking about it, but there are quite a few kind of old classics returning for this book. Uh, so I just wanted to mention a few of those. So people who've been like, where is uh, Heroes' Feast? Hero's Feast is in here as a ritual. Uh, Simulacrum, Reincarnate, Clone are all in here. Uh, there are also a bunch of uh, classic spells that are coming back, like uh, Animate Rope and Force Cage. Uh, both are actually illustrated in the book, uh, and there's quite a few more uh, in there. So uh, if there's some stuff that wasn't in the core rulebook and you uh, really miss it, you might find it in here.
1: Absolutely. Let's see. Um Crazy Stitch asked in the playtest, Oracle had a feat called Divine Element that gave static Spells to only the Flames Oracle. Is there a way that any Oracle can get some good matching spells here, Liz? Uh,
2: not in this book. Um, we looked at that feat, and it ended up being a, a feat that took up a bunch of room for only two of the eight mysteries, uh, and we felt that that space was actually better used to give things that any Oracle could use. Um, but we liked the idea a lot, and so I wouldn't be surprised if something along those lines comes out in a future supplement. Uh, it just didn't make it into this
1: i think not to um i think it did make it in uh just it it you, in? you 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 broadened it out so everybody could use it oh, JP, called the divine access that allows you to pick some spells from an associated deity's domains which lo and behold if you're a flames oracle you could pick a deity with fiery um or not domains from their deity spells you could pick sarin ray who has a bunch of fiery spells and grab some fiery spells but that way it wasn't just for those few it was for everybody uh, is that right? Am I re- I could be remembering wrong. I, that
2: seems that seems uh, very likely uh, right, a that we went through.
1: I'm going to look to make sure that I didn't just make that up um, no, in my head. Right oh, okay, sounds good then. <laughs> Confirmed ear folks. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, All right. One um, more spoilers, just
0: get a really close screen gra- grab on either Liz's glasses or mine. We'll
1: see <laughs> you You'll see them. a whole list of feats. <laughs> so, s- someone's been asking multiple times, and I feel you because this is scrolling past me, what about the Flying Blade archetype from first edition that was a swashbuckler that could, like, throw things? Is there anything that I feel like my Flying Blade could take? So, I'm going to tell you, there's a first level class feat, um, is called Flying Blade, um, and it lets <laughs> <That sounds> you... <laughs> It lets you make ranged attacks where you throw your weapons like the Flying Blade did. So, yes. The answer is a yes. Um, all right. What have we got here? Um, and, uh, the uh, improvised weapon one. Can you throw a shoe? Yes. That an I think I think you might be able to, assuming that you and the GM agree on which type of improvised weapon the shoe is. Which Why would you not... Um, Then you should be able to. Uh, They're clogs. uh, They're extra dangerous. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Clogs (laughs) can just be so deadly. (laughs) Um, All right, let's see. um are there any undead summoning options um for the necromancy school Logan <laughs> you were the one who took uh, yeah, charge on that spell chapter
0: there is the uh there is actually a uh that was one of the things we knew that we didn't quite get into the core rulebook book that we wanted to have in there so there's an animate dead spell which follows the same progression as summoning uh so you can pull up a skeleton or uh, whatever uh, horrid undead creature you need
1: excellent uh, okay yeah. so i'm sorry i we can't get to really that many more questions because we made it to the 130 time but i want to just point out to everybody that if you come to the 4 p.m pacific band of bravo stream one of the pcs is a swashbuckler so you can literally see a swashbuckler in action in that stream and it's gonna be really cool um but other than that let's um, Let's each say our goodbyes, and also, like, if you want to plug a place where people can find you, uh, then do that. So, we'll start with Liz, because we did her last for introduction.
2: All right, first one in, last one in, first one out. Uh, That's right. I am Liz Liddell. I'm the newest designer on the design team, and responsible for the Oracle and Witch in this book, among other things. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, and my name is spelled L-Y-Z. I also have an Ask Me Anything Discord channel throughout PaizoCon, and you can always send me an email through paizo.com, so... Uh, Thanks so much for watching, everybody. It's been a pleasure to share this book with you, and I hope you enjoy it when it comes out in July.
1: All right, Logan?
0: Logan Bonner on Twitter, uh, just just my name. Um, I'll note that that is not the best place to answer, to get answers to your rules questions. We try to do those through official channels. If there's a rules question, post that on the Paizo forums and get people to uh, to upvote it so that that'll come to our attention. We we just don't like having all that information scattered all over the place. Uh, and I also have an AMA going in the PaizoCon online channel. Um, after this panel, I'm probably going to eat lunch, so but I'll probably be back in there and uh, taking a look uh, in about an hour or so. All
1: right. And James Jacobs wants to remind you all that Shenzhen, his character, is a solution. Celebrity archetype that's also in that stream. It for. Um, I'm Mark Seifter, the design manager um, at Paizo the, and the lead for um, the Advanced Players Guide. I also have an, an AMA going on um, that I will check when I can. You can find me on Twitter. I'm just my name at Mark Seifter. Remember, it's ei like Eidolon. Um, or um, you can check out my Twitch. Um, if you've seen me in the comments talking to you, it's um, Arcane Mark is the name of the channel that I'm on with Linda Zayas Palmer, the organized play lead developer. We do sort of like GM tips and workshops and fun things like that. So um, I hope you enjoyed. I'm really excited about the Advanced Players Guide. I can't wait until all of you can get the Advanced Players Guide. Um, but for now, um, goodbye. Well. I'm still going to be here for an interview in between, but bye to this major stream.
0: The No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KD Con team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Gunis, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godek. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer, Peyton Smith, and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out nodirectionpodcast.com.